Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Economics and Islam in recent times have been somewhat transient companions. It's not often the first thing that we think about when we think about ourselves as Muslims. Yet despite professing to Islam being a complete way of life, we find Islam strangely absent when we consider the economic realm, both as people and as a society. We find ourselves swimming in a sea of capitalism and materialism, unable to distinguish between the haq and the batil or even more recently, oscillating between variants of a capitalistic model, such as woke capitalism or state capitalism, or harboring for socialism as a cure for all our ills. Today on the Thinking Muslim podcast, we have Brother Almir Jolan, with whom I wish to unpack the essence of Islam and economics and show a comparison between the modern-day variants of capitalism. I wish also to discuss with him the shepherd's model, from which Brother Almir has quite aptly articulated the essence of Islam and economics. Brother Almir is a director of the Australian Centre of Islamic Finance and CEO of Olive Investments. Almir is also an advisor on a number of institutions and was formerly a lecturer at La Trobe University. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu, Brother Almir. Jazakallah khair for joining us on the Thinking Muslim podcast and welcome from, uh, I know you're in Melbourne, Australia, so 
uh, I hope you're doing well there. Walaikum assalam and wiyakum. Thank you very much. Uh, my pleasure to be here with you. Brother Amir, we wanted to talk to you about uh, a few things because um, we have a situation where we wanted people to understand what the economy means to them and how uh, different facets of the economy are developing in the world today. So uh, before we get into the depths of understanding Islam, what Islam has to say about an economy, what capitalism is saying or how it's evolving at the present time and how people are looking to elements of socialism to kind of suffice their economic needs. Um, I wanted to do, just briefly discuss firstly, um, what is the role of an economy and what is the economic problem that faces all of us really, whether we're Muslims or non-Muslims, um, whether we're here as individuals or as part of a society. What is the essence of what we're trying to achieve here? Is it money? Is it wealth? Is it value? Is it happiness? You know, how do you, what's your perspective on some of those questions? Uh, it comes down to the choice. Uh, really, economy is about what do we do with what we have around ourselves in order to ach achieve certain outcome. Uh, we all have uh, some amount of resources, time, uh, different things that we want to achieve. And the reality of life is that we cannot do everything we want with what we have. So what that means is that we will need to make certain choices. And so really economic uh, economy is about the relationship between these different things, resources, and economics is more uh, like a way of thinking, creating certain choices and incentives where as a society, you achieve the best outcomes that you want. So usually the way I think about is, is um, if you want something to happen, uh, you incentivize that behavior. If you want less of something, you create opposite incentives, just like when you are managing your own house. If you want your kids to do well at school, or if you want them to uh, do anything that you want them to do, you have to incentivize and drive that behavior. So it's not necessarily uh, one thing, but it's more about creating the whole system of incentives to drive certain behavior where people have really the um, um, pathway for them where they can achieve that. So that is in a nutshell the way I uh, look at it. So uh, what I'm often intrigued about is commentaries about the economy. And um, I think there was people like Max Weber and people in the past who have said that the economy should be value free or there should be so what's called value freedom in an economy. Um, and is this the essential reason why it leads to a different perspective of why uh, we as Muslims should view the economy differently and why, you know, people of a, of a capitalist or who adhere to the capitalist model should view the economy differently and people of a socialist model. Um, is that some of the reasons why we have these different perspectives? Uh, values definitely impact your uh, way of thinking about economy. In the root of everything is what you believe in. So based on that, you want to create different outcomes. So uh, the, the, the socialist, socialist countries, the way they frame the problem or what they are trying to achieve will be different from other countries uh, that even um, have some kind of religion, for example. 
will influence. So, for example, when I look at a lot of these uh, socialist countries, uh, because in general, when you look at where it developed is areas where there was no religion, no God, and therefore there was no thinking about any other higher purpose. Over time, due to many, many factors uh, in society, you create almost your own sense of uh, purpose and um, and the way you relate to the state. So the state becomes this uh, mega uh, formation, which will protect you in your old age, which will give you pension, which will protect you in terms of the social security benefits if you, if you are unemployed. And so the state become the massive family and the something above. Uh, and uh, this was traditionally um, form of um, a, a local structure where you had maybe society or the community where rely on certain hierarchies and so on to 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 manage that society and so when you have a society where does not put too much emphasis on the family on the community but it's sort of looking up uh, it is then natural that incentives and the protections and where the power is concentrated go higher and higher. Unlike in, if you look at the capitalism, capitalism, for example, did come from a different way of thinking um, where there was, we, we, we might think that there was no influence, but there was an influence. A lot of the things like a freedom to contract that come from the sense of you um, that, in my opinion, at least, must come from people who believe in God, who then say, by which right can somebody interfere, how I interact with somebody. From that moment, you uh, develop certain relationship, like a freedom to contract. Uh, it, and, and that in itself develop a worldview. You know, when they say lower taxes or uh, don't uh, impose the minimum wage and these kinds of things. These things come from that perspective that between me and you, nobody should interfere because God made us free. No one should enslave us. So although not necessarily in capitalism, all of those people who, who developed the system were either, let's say, practicing and so on, but the cultural aspect of, of the faith uh, was much uh, still fresh in the minds of people and it shaped that and even until today. So it is impossible to discount what people believe in certain area about themselves, about God, about other eth ethics, where the ethics comes from and what system they create. So uh, I'm just quite interested in, in the first part of your answer. You mentioned um, socialism and I know the fact that, you know, if you don't mind me saying so, you're of a certain age where you've actually lived through uh, a socialist economy in the former Yugoslavia in Sarajevo. So could you kind of just expand and ex express to us what it was actually like living under socialist economy? Because often now we feel that people harbor towards a socialist model, if you like, and um, they understand that to be the cure for all evils. Or some people even frame Muslims and the, the way Muslims should progress in terms of a socialist view on life, especially in terms of the economic realm, because um, it's often seen as fair and equitable and just and so forth. So uh, it would be really important to understand your perspectives in terms of living under a, uh, a, a view like that and what kind of lessons we could learn from that. 
the Bosnia was part of Yugoslavia, which was communist country. Uh, it was called socialist in the name. It was socialist, just like Russia and all of these countries. Um, they, unfortunately, people who don't know much about it, they they are fooled by certain uh, phrases. Even now, some people, when they think about former Yugoslavia, and they say we were so we had it so well when Tito was the president for life, was alive. And you ask them, okay, what was good? Well, everybody had a job and you could sleep at any tree and nobody would bother you, you know, these kind of ideas. Well, I remember a little bit differently that I, I had to go to Greece to buy butter. I had to go to Romania to sell something, to get something else. We never had enough of anything. And so, um, when people are thinking about these kind of things, they don't realize that uh, there is a huge difference between we all are employed in a job that does not provide enough for you. We are all so-called so have economy where the shelves in the supermarkets are uh, half empty or the substandard products, or that we cannot speak our mind. Um, that uh, our president for writing the book, he had to go to jail. When I was, uh, when my wife had to learn Quran because her father was a part of, uh, he was in the, he was uh, like uh, in the police force. Uh, he had to send her underground school to learn, recite Quran. When we were watching the movie message on the VHS tape, we had to hide with my grandmother and she would secretly screen the movie and it was like you're doing something illegal. Uh, you know, in the class, in the history class, our teacher asked us, uh, do we pray? And we were so shy to raise our hands. She said, let's see who is Muslim, who is Croat, who is Serb, and then we all say who is who. And then she said, she was a Serb. She said, how many of you pray? So only, and I was eight, eighth, I think, seven or eighth grade, I can't remember. And only one of my friend, Emir, he was brave enough to raise his hand. He said, I pray. And she said to him, I'm very disappointed in you, Emir. So if you want to live like an uh, animal, somebody give you like, you know, here's the, some uh, grains, here's water, there is a bucket to go toilet, then that's a great system for that kind of slavery, you know? But uh, human beings uh, really uh, couldn't prosper. Uh, they, you couldn't, uh, uh, you didn't have any incentive to do anything in reality. So there is, that's the reason why in reality, even those dreams of socialists that you will have a good healthcare, that you will have this, that only work if you could give one kilo of coffee or a sugar. Think of that. The only way you get that healthcare from that country was if you bribe them with kilo of sugar or the or the coffee. Now, forget the corruption part. The country where you can bribe doctor with the coffee and the sugar. Think of that. Where is the wealth level of that country? And so, so you couldn't get that health, or you could have to wait forever to get very, very bad healthcare. So. Uh, so when people are talking about this, these systems look only good in the, uh, on the paper. And they were looking great when people were talking in contrast to uh, that time when feudals and when these kings and others ruled everything and you couldn't, when people were slaves. Uh, but in reality, 
uh, they failed because simply they did not allow humans to be humans. So I, I think that's quite intriguing because uh, one of the reasons for, I think, the fall of communism, as you've just rightly stated, was this, the human spirit was kind of bridled almost in certain ways and it wasn't allowed to express itself. Uh, and then which kind of brings us on to um, a view of the world as it is today, because the world is ostensibly a capitalist world. You know, we are all kind of swimming in capitalism in some way, shape or form, uh, whether it be any of the new variants of capitalism or neoclassical capitalism and so forth. Um, and we being Muslims, you know, uh, in the fractious nature that we live in in separate countries are uh, in, in some ways or shape or form, all of our societies throughout the 60 odd countries that we live in is, is almost a form of some form of capitalism or, or else. Um, so how does, uh, how does this way of life, this capitalist way of life kind of look at the human spirit? And then uh, I just want to go, then go on to understand about how as Muslims, we should kind of view that and we should view the new developments in the capitalist model as well. So the what capitalism gets uh, right is that for you to be pro, to have a progress to get somewhere to solve the problems after you solve big problems you know in the beginning everybody can solve big problems easily um, you put resources here or there so in, initially every system works but when the problems get nuanced complicated complex, then you need uh, to meet those problems at the level of complexity. And that cannot be done by bureaucracy. That is not uh, voted. Like when you vote your government, you don't vote them for the competency to do these nuanced, complex life problems, to develop the next internet, to develop the next iPhone, next Tesla car, new fridge, microwave, satellite, laser missile, whatever. You're not electing them for these kind of things, nor do you electing them to make you more softer, I don't know, something that you can sit on. Or So... Um, Capitalism understood to unleash human potential. You need to work with their psychology, which is to let them work. And then the people by themselves in that economy will be driven. I'll give you an example in, in Bosnia, how that worked. We in the war didn't have a sh sugar was $60 sugar. Okay. Salt. Uh, these are basic things. I haven't seen eggs for months and months and months. Chocolate, forget chocolate. So in the war, we were living in Sarajevo that was surrounded uh, with the, all the Serb forces were surrounding Sarajevo for four years. So what did the people do? They dig a tunnel under, under, under the lines, enemy lines, and they would go risk their life to go under that tunnel, which was about one meter, and you almost suffocate to go through it. But they were risking their lives digging and moving goods so that they can meet those demands of people. That is the human, you see, in the most difficult circumstances, human rise to the challenge. You, If you let them freely do that. So capitalism understood, if you want to solve the problems, complex, let people do it. Uh, don't get into the way with these bureaucracies and red tapes. So we have seen the capitalism also favored by the World War II, where the rest of the uh, world was destroyed. 
and some of the biggest capitalism uh, capitalist countries like US and so on they had all factories money's everything uh, at their disposal so the resources plus innovation plus incentives to build everything that the world needed propelled the capitalism very very far so the capitalism succeeded at that level because until maybe 70s 90s and 2000 maybe they were producing what everybody else was consuming and so this is where capitalism really understood the power of reward when i can get rewarded for my work i will put extra work so this is the basic human instinct so then how has it developed into uh the state it's in now where people now are questioning uh the the essence of the capitalist model so we're coming up with people there have been you know huge inequality differences throughout the world uh we know that the income gap or the wealth gap between the rich and the poor has widened you know to epic proportions as it is now uh we understand that third world debt has never been higher than before we understand that you know there is so many problems in terms of even just the environment and capitalism's uh take on how to deal with the environment where it's been found wanting um and then people have have been now searching for alternative models you know whether that's woke capitalism or as we see site in china where it's a kind of a hybrid model of state capitalism um that, that has been kind of espoused so this search for a new way of doing things if if things were so successful and if the if the model was so uh eloquent in in the way it was kind of um, adhered to by the populace people are now searching for these different things and what is it that they're searching for what is it that's missing within that model that you know we can look at so both of these models they have a major flaw in the design so remember what we talk, said about uh, economic system it's about incentives so now everything initially works fine both capitalism and socialism in different ways they start solving the problems and the problem starts really as the model and the sequence of events comes to their maturity so in socialism that ends with a huge bureaucracy the government is grown so much so that they suck your taxes they own everything they control decisions everything comes from the very small group of people so you create a bottleneck same effect happens with the capitalism as the socialism grows big government capitalism grows big corporations so for example in america now you have separation of power you have a judiciary you have uh, executives and you have legislative branch of uh, government so your supreme court your congress your presidency uh, that's a, to create a balance of power so that no one will become like a king in those days you know and control everything and have enormous power but corporation now let's say you take some of these corporation like a coke brothers you know just now finished supreme court for the third trump um amy baron what what's her name uh, yeah so, okay so she when you look at what she's talking about sounds sounds perfectly legit like the originalist the way she interprets the way she thinks about contract the way she thinks about transaction everything now Uh, forget the values and all of the cultural issue like abortion and stuff like that who is she going to favor in her and i'm not saying she's wrong but who is she going to favor when it comes to commercial decisions of supreme court 
business, big business for sure. Now, I'm not saying not necessarily bad. A lot of what she believes, I, 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 I think that makes total sense. But what we are having now is that you have a corporation that backs it up, Koch uh, Brothers, who are one of the largest uh, organization. They have um, uh, lobby, they have uh, activists and educational programs, which they fund for decades. In 1974, they wrote a paper where they said, we will strategically place the judges to create a precedence, lower judges and higher, so that we can game the system basically, okay? So you have a situation where now corporation through their uh, enormous wealth can rig the system so it gets their own judges, favorable politicians, and it is higher than all of these three branches of government, basically hijacking the government. So what is it that they can then do? They can then make the rules to be correlated with their interest rather than the interest of the public. So in effect, capitalism created a massive government, which is hugely powerful, but who is riding the government is these corporations. And these corporations tell the government where to go. And so instead of serving the people, it suddenly starts serving these corporations. So this is hugely diff- uh, challenging situation because you know your uh, global financial crisis, most of the money, if it was really as we believe, we are led to believe, you know, capitalism, uh, let these banks fall down. Then they they got themselves in trouble. Then let them go down. But no, we inject money, we help them, we support them, and who is paying, the taxpayers are paying. So you see, this is what we create now, uh, corporate welfare. So while they are crying, we don't want socialism, that's only we don't want socialism when it comes to the money in our pocket. But we want the socialism when it comes to sucking the money of the people pocket. So this is where the people are starting to say that this huge government creating their own rules and regulations and uh, and uh, because the capitalism doesn't have any values to tell you how to be responsible to other people, how to take their problems and, and so on, they are just saying it will trickle down, don't worry. In a sense, it's true that, that I mean, look, money either trickle down from the corporation or from the government. If you don't have a money, it's not gonna go uh, uh, down up. Yeah, it has to trickle down. But the thing is then what the people now start thinking because I can't trust the capitalist he's not fulfilling his own responsibility in the way he's dealing with people, then what I will do, I will somehow take a government to increase the tax and things like that. So in effect, what you have is that more these corporations grow, more they can control the government, more everything, just like communism uh, in terms of the government, more decisions will be in their hands everything will favor them. And that's why the problem again, become a bottleneck at the top where again, you end up with a small number of people who control enormous power in the country. And this is what will eventually choke capitalism like that, that works with incentive basically miss the main point, which is how to be ethical, how to be benevolent, how to take that real personal responsibility and help. So that is the problem that as the communism failed to grasp the nature of the human incentives to work and own, 
the capitalism didn't get the point that humans need values, belief, and the incentive of faith to be actually generous when it comes to what they what they get in their own hand. So essentially what you're saying is, is that both capitalism and socialism concentrate power, you know, whether it's the state in a planned economy or whether it's the big corporations. In effect, it's done in a, a vicarious way, in an indirect way uh, in both of those instruments. Um, so in terms of the new trends within capitalism, and especially I'm thinking about woke capitalism here where people are looking at issues of sustainability or ethical sources of funding goods and services and looking at the inequality that they see around the world and why it's so uh, disparate in, in different ways. Um, it often intrigues me that the way capitalism approaches the uh, this problem or this, this facet that people recognize, because everyone's a human being and no one wants to see pictures of poor people or starving children on their TV screens. Um, and one of the ways that capitalism do deals with this, and you often see this in the big tech billionaires uh, of so forth that, you know, so-and-so has given away so many billions of pounds to this person or to this organization. And Warren Buffett has given such and such amount of money uh, to this cause or Bill and Melinda Gates have started the Gates Foundation where uh, they're looking at vaccination around the world. It often intrigues me that uh, th these people who are the pillars of the capitalist economy um, it's often the, the, the problems of the world are often left at their benevolence, at their you know, whimsical desires. So you could have uh, an equally prosperous person choosing to give or not choosing to give to these causes. And there's no control over whether um, you know, a person with a large amount of resources does want to solve a world's problem or doesn't want to solve a world's problem. And it's often we get sucked into thinking, wow, hasn't this person done such a great job in doing this or doing whatever? Um, but it seems to me there's no controls over that point. Um, whereas in Islam, we know that it's suddenly different and which we'll come on to later. But um, this is how I see woke capitalism. I just want you to understand your perspective on what woke means at the moment. I think uh, as with the birth of uh, social media and people becoming more aware, um, people are uh, legitimately asking the questions about uh, corporate social responsibility. And so all of these issues in terms of sustainability or human rights or something like that, people are more and more recognized. I think actually that's a good thing that people are recognizing that they are asking for more accountability and transparency from these organizations. Um, as these organizations grow, uh, it is easy for them just to concentrate on numerical growth. When you don't have any faith, any value, only thing you look for is a number. And that's why if you look at the corporate governance studies, they have all of these different theories. Uh, and one of the theories is stakeholders theory, which is that you account for other stakeholders, not necessarily just your investors or your cus customers, but somebody who might not even have anything to do with it. You, you, you put a factory next to his house and it's making too much noise, polluting his water, his air and uh, affecting him in some way. So there are there, there is this appreciation of the fact that we live together and we should be living as a good neighbors. And so I think people being more 
um, let's say, activist with the way they are uh, using their money is forcing the corporation to sort of, to more or less degree signal that they are responding to these things. So again, they are driven by these incentives. Now, the point is to recognize is that um, corporation, like you, if you look at the board of corporation, they don't have a conscience. They are not, that's not a person. It's, it's a group of people who represent uh, investors. Now, bear in mind, even when we say these investors, most of the time people, you buy shares or your pension fund buy shares or you invest in some portfolio or most of these funds, you don't even know where you are investing. So it's the first time that we have another problem in capitalism, which is separation of ownership and the management of the company. Because I have my pension fund, my fund manager is managing those shares. He give it to his, whoever is then buying the shares. Then there is a board of directors. Now, I don't know which company I own. Uh, these board of directors have no idea who I am. So whose value will impact that corporation, what they do? Their own, their own regulation. So, so there is no real ethics in the community uh, other than what signals they receive from the public. Uh, they will ask them, do you have diversity, the quota, the whatever, you know, something like that. Uh, so, so I think that the idea that they are responding is basically they are responding because they feel that there will be commercial consequences, not necessarily because suddenly we have, and there are some corporations that genuinely believe, believe uh, in, in some of these principles. So again, it's it's a, a response to certain stimulus, to certain incentives, carrot and the stick that is happening. But the outcome usually depends on what culturally is acceptable and what culturally is not acceptable anymore. Okay, so um, essentially the bottom line is still the same, right? So, you know, capitalism has a way of kind of absorbing some of these trends and uh, some of these fades in society, but essentially the bottom line behind the capitalism in terms of growth and in terms of profit maximization is still essentially the same. Yeah. So uh, as people growing up and especially the younger generation is how should we then, how should they then kind of look at this? Um, and I'm just, just want to kind of uh, segue into how we as Muslims and an Islamic society should just kind of look at this situation because many people are often confused by the interaction of Islam and economics. Um, because we live in a predominantly capitalist world, we never actually look at Islam and its relevance to the economic model. Uh, we always see it in isolation. And I think I'm speaking generally here, not specifically for any person. Uh, and, and it's it's hard to understand and it's hard to appreciate how Islam can then have an impact, especially in the way the world is changing now with social media, with data, with artificial intelligence and the abundance of information. It's hard to appreciate for the young Muslim as to how Islam then has a view on this economic model, you know, whether that be variants of capitalism or, or elsewise. Um, so and you have kind of expanded upon this. And um, I was listening to your podcast about the shepherd's model, uh, which you, I think, presented in Turkey to a number of institutions. Um, I just want to kind of uh, 
you know, for you, if you can kind of expand upon that model and then make people understand the relevancy of Islam using that framework um, and how that kind of fits in with people's lives. I think what you mentioned in the beginning is that um, most of us sort of are, um, when we think about uh, faith or Islam and economy, we think in sort of secular terms that this belongs to the mosque and, uh, and this belongs to the rest of us. So that is not an accident. That is the result of last uh, maybe century or two where Muslims sort of, especially Muslim majority countries, um, they, they were forces and the trends uh, where uh, those who practice uh, religion uh, withdraw from the scene, from the life into the mosques. And uh, there were people powerful, uh, let's say, forces that benefited from Muslims not being active and withdrawing from life and so on. So Muslims sort of lost uh, these principles uh, when it comes to economy and so on. In fact, the last country that did that was Turkey. And uh, in 1800s, they had the reforms uh, where they started uh, engaging interest-based bond to finance the war. And as a result of that, uh, they incur huge debts and, uh, and, and the country was overtaken by administrative body like a bank, which started collecting the tax and Turkey collapsed mainly because of that, just like Cold War, Russia collapsed because economic problems and so on. Uh, that was the last country that uh, that uh, was uh, not dealing with interest. And then when they did start dealing with interest and other things, uh, they wanted to reform themselves and uh, they wanted to be modern. And of course, we know what happened after that. So now when we come to the last maybe 40, 50 years, we have seen uh, Muslim thinkers starting to realize that Islam is not just some idea in your head. Islam is the way you live life uh, outside of the mosque as well. So people started thinking about, okay, so what would be the way we do with these complex uh, systems? Can you have economics or financial system without interest? And so a lot of models, a lot of thinking you had in 60s and 70s, some banks started in Egypt and they, was, they were trying to commercialize the principles. Most of these initially were failed models until somewhere in 70s, Islamic Development Bank, Dubai Islamic Bank, they created some uh, models. But these models and Islamic finance in general is very transactional. And so it took a while until we started creating the concept that, hang on a minute, there is something Islamic economy. There is an ecosystem. There is a, there is underlying idea how we do certain things. And so when I looked at all of these things and teaching it for a long time, I started to sort of think, how, how do we as Muslims view different uh, models? And, you know, I like models because it, helps explain, not maybe fully, but helps you frame your thinking about it. And so I started thinking of many different things. What is economy, how it works? So in the early stages, I would think about economy as a circle, just very basic idea, then draw some line, some industries. What do we have in the economy? What are the industries Then intersect the lines with the wealth of the people and participants? And then I started thinking, you know, when they intersect, some people have the wealth to participate. Some people need money. Some people need something else. And then I said, okay, so where does this uh, something that we 
consume comes from, who is producing it. So this idea that, uh, you know, I would read reports, Islamic economies, this many trillion, look at halal, meat is trillion. But idea came, but hang on a minute, this is just consumption of meat. Who is producing the meat? Uh, and then I read Brazil is producing most of the meat in Australia. Alhamdulillah, you know, I live in Australia. We have huge here factories, abattoirs, you know, exporting. But, you know, you start thinking, how does this all work? What do What does this all mean? And and so I started thinking more and more, uh, and then eventually I I've been always thinking about this uh, um, uh, example that one of my teacher gave me a long time ago when I was maybe twenty something, and he talked to me about the shepherd, and uh, he said the shepherd basically uh, they have a three roles that they do, uh, and uh, you know if you look at them taking care of the uh, uh, weak animals, uh, they would take a lamb in their hands and they would carry it around so that's the first job that shepherds do taking care of the weak and then you know you, when, when you look at what they do these shepherds they also uh, gather the scattered and the lost uh, sheep they would go wander around somewhere and then he would he would bring them in and then the third uh, third uh, uh, function of the shepherd is that they would lead the strong. The, they would lead them towards the more green areas and opportunities and so on. So this idea came to me uh, in terms of economy because Prophet Sallallahu said, you are all shepherds. So first of all, this that each one of us is responsible for something. Um, so that was very interesting for me, that just idea that you are responsible, husband, you know, ruler, wife, they all are shepherds in something. But overall, when you think about then shepherds of economy, shepherds of, of these things, I thought that Islamic rules, more I thought about it, would fit under these three headings. Because taking care of the weak, uh, you, we have all of these tools uh, that circulate money in society and distribute the wealth. Totally different than socialism, much more uh, profoundly surgically, whether it's a zakat, whether it's a sadaqa, whether even just the, the loan itself is a considered as a sadaqa. You know, even if you give somebody a loan to give you back with no profit to you, it's considered as, as you gave um, some narration, even double of that as a sadaqa and so on. Uh, beyond that, even the Islamic will, you look at the, how the will, Islamic will breaks. We talk about wealth inequality. Where did that come from? Money concentrate, concentrate, concentrate to the top, top, top. But look at the Islamic will. Some of the mathematicians, uh, Huarizmi, he invented this entire science, algebra, uh, to calculate in Islamic law of inheritance. Because there is some narrations that said the laws of inheritance are uh, half of the knowledge. It's very complex. So he invented entire mathematics. Why? Because it breaks down the wealth, make it circulate to a larger number of the people. So you have all of these different things in Islam that are not for profit activity, that encourage the lifestyle of giving as a personal responsibility. And that's why you look at the companions when they come to the Prophet Sallallahu their complaint about the rich people was that they are overtaking us. They're giving all of this money. What is the complaint of these people today uh, about capitalism? Their complaint is that money goes in the pocket of these people, doesn't see a light of the day any long, anymore after that. So totally different mind shift. So this idea 
of taking care of the weak that comes from the faith drove these people. This was a moral leadership. So this shows you the wholesome nature that, that is essential then to create other relationships in economy. And the second part of this model then is about uh, a main problem that comes in both socialism and capitalism, especially in capitalism, which is that when you are talking about gathering the scattered one, you're talking really about rules and regulations. Now, today, rules and regulations are don't do this, don't do that. There is no principle. When you, for example, Islamically prohibit interest, that you cannot securitize that debt, you cannot sell it, you cannot create all of these synthetic uh, transactions that, that grow only a fictional economy. Um, it, it has a major impact in the way you earning, but also in the mindset that don't make money from lazy ways, from doing absolutely nothing beneficial to the people. And so focus yourself on something that is beneficial and wholesome. So rules and regulation in Islam, many of these uh, rules and, you know, you can study, uh, don't sell what you don't have, don't cheat, um, certain, I mean, there is, there is so many rules of the transaction, what you can transact. It's, it's a, the whole study. You have to study Islamic law of contract. Next week, we're starting with the students Islamic law of contract in the podcast so that you can just understand what to transact because you're dealing with the real thing. So all of these rules are there to focus the game on something that benefits the people. And then the third is leading the struggle is really about that wealth creation piece because you see, you have to have right incentives to create that wealth. When Omer, you know, um, or Uthman, let's say, for example, uh, equipped the army, or when he buy the uh, resource, water resources, or any of these things that we are uh, often reminded in our fundraising dinners, you know, no one asked, how did Uthman generate this wealth? He generated in the market in Medina. He was a businessman. So uh, why we are not thinking, how did he make this money? You have a billionaire which giving billion after billion after billion. Do you think Umar, I mean, Uthman just one day uh, woke up and he decided, let me go here and see what happened, or he didn't have a really solid understanding of how to lead, how to create this wealth. So obviously this is very important piece, which is why if you again look at Islamic uh, law of contract and transaction, Islam incentivizes. So when you enter partnership, it allows you even to increase the share of the partner's um, uh, income. Uh, from the profit, just to incentivize that. You see how that is that uh, a positive side that we said capital, uh, capitalism understood, incentivizing something, and communism didn't. But then at the same time, doesn't allow you to put disproportionate amount of a loss on the weaker party for the same reason, justice. So at the one side of this model, you see justice, and on the other side, you see freedom to engage. But it's all lives within certain borders that Islam in its, you know, being a revelation uh, uh, created to balance these things. And this is the core essence that is missing in all of these other uh, systems. So, and that's quite a profound explanation. And, and I think that's a good job encapsulating uh, which is quite a wide topic, um, and maybe we'll have some time in the future to go into 
the, the innermost workings of that topic. Um, so when you've broken it down into these three aspects of wealth distribution, wealth protection, and wealth creation, um, if I can just go back to the distribution element. Now, uh, zakah is all sometimes seen by us rightly or wrongly, depends on you know how you look at things, but it somehow looks as almost in line with the capitalist model of philanthropy, really, right? So Muslims, when they see zakat, sometimes, rightly or wrongly, or consciously or subconsciously, look at it in terms of something that, yes, we are obliged to do, but it's almost a kind of a, a philanthropic exercise. But I don't, when I was looking into this recently, I didn't see Islam uh, portraying zakat in that manner. In fact, it was said that the wealth of uh, the wealthy is a right upon the poor people, right? Um, so it, it's almost like uh, it's it's a burden upon the rich people to to know how to look at the, the, this wealth. So the, the element of zakat is sometimes often confusing and sadaqah as well. So how do we distinguish that between just normal philanthropy or normal charitable exercises that we see today? So zakat is uh, someone else money or wealth could be different types in your pocket. So zakat is then somebody's right mixed with your own wealth. That's why you take it out. So it's not your thing. You take it out. Uh, now that is, doesn't mean the rest of the money is like that. So Islam then prescribe uh, general sadaqah. So even if you are not in the category of people who can give or sh something like that, uh, this is now unlimited you can give. So while, but this is now your own extra, let's say, uh, extra activities. So zakat is for the people who are, let's say, wealthy, uh, whatever Islam describes as a minimum amount of money to be considered wealthy. So so either you give give some of the surplus or you receive it. I mean, that's that's what it is. Either you can give or not give. But there is in between sort of, sort of uh, where a lot of people are. Uh, maybe uh, you, you are not required, but then there is a sadaqah. And that's why Islam wants generally lifestyle. Don't worry about just this portion. You should aim more. That's why we say even smiling is charity. Because sometimes you need uh, money, sometimes you need the time, sometimes attention, sometimes good word. Uh, people need different things. Everybody is in need of, of something and everybody is in surplus of something. Uh, but then you have different mechanisms that we didn't mention. For example, wakf, wakf or endowment. This is for the elite. This is not for everybody, you know, like just everyday person. Uh, wakf is for the elite, very ultra, ultra, ultra rich, you know, high net worth individuals. So that's why you see, for example, they leave uh, buildings or some other things. Uh, when I was in, Tur in Turkey, I saw it with my own eyes. And in Bosnia, half of the cities are uh, endowment. Uh, I was speaking with the head of uh, Aukaf in Turkey, and he told me there are 20,000 properties in Turkey, 80,000 people uh, work for them, and they are endowment for many different things. Some of them are just taking care of uh, stray cats and dogs or feeding students and so on. So depending on where you are, distribution of wealth, it's not, again, uh, uh, much of that is actually on your on you personal responsibility that Islam wants. Because what's happening now currently is that we love to talk about, 
or what's happening with the people are starving, this rich uh, Bezos doesn't want to give money. Okay, but you yourself right now can feed two people from your own kitchen and you are not doing it. Why did we get ourselves off the hook? Because the Prophet said, you are not. What kind of person you are if you are sleeping and your neighbor is hungry? You have right now, each one of us, double what we need in our kitchen. And there are people hungry. So we love to take ourselves and say, okay, well, Bill Gates is not doing something, you know? Okay, that's one thing. All right. But what about me and you? You know, so this sort of disconnecting ourselves from people is where capitalism and this system led us. It's that destruction of your real responsibility for other people for doing something. Yeah, so, uh, and I think that's really important to understand. Um, a lot of people have started to talk about uh, things like wealth taxation recently um, uh, in the normal, you know, uh, uh, bigger, larger Western countries. So you have people like Thomas Piketty and so forth talking about taxation and wealth taxation and how, uh, you know, we should kind of uh, make the world more equitable and understand that. So does that necessarily come from Islamic principles that they've, you know, kind of looked at and seen if there's a better model for adopting that? Or is that something that's just people have come to their natural understanding about how that works? Uh, it comes down to what we said before, uh, incentives. So people are a little bit behind. So when they said, let's tax, for example, income or these transactions, then uh, those people who can hire the lawyers and uh, advisors, they've moved the money in some way, certain jurisdictions, or they figure out way how to avoid that. Um, now, the taxation system often wants uh, to re reward some activity. So you want to build, let's say, houses. So government will give you certain tax discounts so that house market can boom because you want to solve the problems. So people naturally with those incentives move towards whatever benefits them somehow. Okay. If you start taxing wealth, uh, it's, it's create, it will create a similar uh, way. It will, people will find a way where they can again avoid uh, avoid these things. So it's not that difficult. People just think, I mean, in general, when they think about uh, zakat, they think, okay, it's a, not an income tax, it's a wealth tax, but not from everything. Not from everything. It's not just like you take, okay, like uh, the guy, let's say Amazon guy. Until recently, Amazon didn't even make a profit. Uh, it's just the stock price make him a billionaire and trillionaire. It, it doesn't, he doesn't have that in the cash. It's just uh, a record, you know, stock price is a record of at what price somebody bought that stock last. You know, if I now collect 100 uh, stones, I take these 100 stones and I sell one for a million dollars. On the paper, I have $100 million, but I don't have anything, you know. So, so when we think about wealth, sometimes we don't maybe uh, differentiate what is it? What is that that, that we mean uh, by 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 wealth, uh, cash flow, uh, cash in the bank? Even if you go now, Trump, you think he has a lot of cash? No, it's moving somewhere, doing something. It's not just sitting. So it's not as simple switch from income to the other. Uh, you could think, I mean, uh, putting aside the Islamic view on the taxation, which is not. Uh, 
it's it doesn't look at taxation as a virtual virtuous act but if you think about it i mean there could be many different things okay let's let's tax people on the time you know or let's uh, pay politicians by crowdfunding see who will get paid from these politicians and how much value they have so there is many different ways but again there is a hatred towards the these wealthy people why because i told you the reasons and because now we don't see these wealthy as connected working and generous there is that ge- general and i think social media develop greedy mentality you see in islam in general we don't look at who is wealthy we look at who is less than me so i don't feel that jealousy i don't feel that i don't have enough but the current state of affairs you see it goes opposite of islamic advice instead of saying look down the one and be grateful he says look at other one up and and be more greedy and 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 often wealth is when we talk about wealth and the poverty especially in the western countries where we are it's often comparison thing you know somebody is uh, who is poor here will be wealthy man in some other country you know so this disconnect uh that that happens because again these wealthy people are not concerned they are just maximizing the profit without any restrictions people are uh for the reason really uh, they are very angry at them because especially when they are looking and everybody's emphasizing how they are rich and they don't have and they are the reasons for this or that uh, a lot of this is just uh, typical uh marxist uh, class warfare you know um which is that we are the poor working class these are the rich guys this is a politicization of that situation um so so the truth is not exactly just let's tax this or that or this way or that way uh through it is a bit more nuanced and, and the complex because at the same time you don't want to destroy you don't want to be like those people who wanted all the eggs from the golden goose and just cut the goose in half and then give it everything you know i mean you have to be logical these there is a reason why wealth go to certain areas we it's it's not just a fault of these people or that people uh, there are incentives in the system that makes money flow in one or the other way you have to look at incentives mm. so i th- i think the role of incentives as you've kind of pointed out it is quite a crucial area to discuss a, a lot further and i think uh, often we see that um uh, in many ways in terms of a one dimensional view of incentives whereas i think in islam we should look at it as a more of a multi dimensional approach to uh, the role of incentives and i think that whole area needs perhaps a study in itself is to because incentives essentially controls the levers of the economy right so when the like in in britain when the chancellor of the exchequer wants the people to behave in a certain way there will be economic incentives only to deal with that right so whether it's you know going out to restaurants or giving vouchers or giving tax breaks to certain people that behavior is controlled by what kind of incentives you have and the way they they do that is uh, in this model anyway is to understand that people only have one sort of incentive which is to maximize their wealth or maximize their money uh whereas we should look at it a bit more broadly and maybe we can kind of take up this topic um you know in the future because i probably think that needs a session by itself um i just wanted to move on to this issue about the new economy 
and, and how that kind of manifests itself. Because we now see the economy changing. It, it's more about, you know, where the old aspects of, for example, colonization was to take over people's lands and, you know, uh, usurp their riches and take the gold from people's places and, and bring them to Europe and so forth. It's no longer about that. It, it's more of a uh, understanding where information lies and how people can be controlled through information and what information can do. And information is the thing that provides value and provides those economic advantages to people. Um, and how should we as Muslims or, uh, or Islam in general should view this aspect about in information and what in an economics terms they call imperfect information to make decisions? Um, we need to start thinking about that, uh, both as Muslims as individuals and also Islam as a society and how we need to kind of work with that method because rightly or wrongly, the genie is out of the bag. So no longer is it controlled anymore. You are absolutely right. Today, uh, models, economic models um, is changing. So if you look at US, it's, it's not correct to call this capitalist system. Um, uh, it's a hybrid system. It has uh, some aspects of capitalism, some aspects of socialism. So there is a mixed bag, depending of um, how you slice it. So um, if you look at the China, India, Russia, again, it's not communism exactly. There is much more freedom, much more ownership. Uh, and uh, and so there is, there is a mixed bag. So even if you look at how these countries are interacting like you see for instance now um in in between us and china there is a trade war there is a currency war there is technology war why is basically uh, because um for for many decades us that tells us about capitalism was subsidizing their industries and businesses to be competitive and they attack other countries so think about it uh, they weaponize those incentives and leverage them to the, the degree where they become superpower they are. And they are superpower because they were producing. So tick for them for the producing. That's not a fake. You know, when people say, oh, just because they print money and then, you know, everybody can do that. You think Russia didn't print money and Venezuela, <laughs> you know, they don't have interest in the banks. They all have interest in the banks and printing money and same thing. It, it's not that. It's they were not producing they, did, they didn't have these brains. That's why the brains were going into the U.S. after the Second World War, uh, starting from Nazis and other ones, you know, all of the biggest brains. Um, so when it comes to the other countries, they also figure this out. And I talk about some of these stories in the podcast, but basically when they left this strict uh, capitalism, look at hundreds of millions of people in India and China left from poverty, they, they rise up. And now there is a, some sort of a hybrid, some sort of a hybrid in this economy. Now, you mentioned information. Information is, is very important because these uh, global corporations, they are, they are tracking everything that is, uh, that is going on. Just a few days ago, my daughter was telling me in, the, in our local supermarket, giant supermarket, uh, huge brand, uh, they, were, they were some of these... Uh, something some item that they were all eating it became very very popular i don't know what's called it's some spreadable if they, they put a cookie in something and it's everybody live from these young children 
But it's when a small company suddenly became viral sensation. And you can never get it enough. They put it in the shelves, people buy it. And my daughter told me after a couple, maybe a month or two, they said, look, you know, like I bought this one. And I said, oh, good, you found it. He said, no, no, no. It's actually their generic brand. Their supermarket created the brand. And they have it in abundance. And I say, how do you think they know? Because they see data. They see what's selling, what's in demand, what's, you know, they, they, everything is analytics. I mean, so, so the, the data, as you point, that's one very important thing. Uh, so as a Muslim, I think it's important, obviously, to follow the trend. But we'll look at where we are now as a Muslim, which is that we can't even respond. What is important to recognize is that these people have data, but then they have uh, capacity to respond to those uh, numbers, to reality that is happening. At the moment, we are yet to build, especially in terms of Islamic economy, we can't just easily respond to that. And that is the core of our problem, that we do not have uh, factories, we, we are not manufacturing, um, and, and we are not thinking too much about independence of our, our countries, especially this moment. Uh, can we produce ventilators, masks, uh, next COVID vaccine, let alone technology, defense, uh, food, all of these things? Who is producing what we are consuming? So, so I think we are a little bit behind when it comes to uh, even utilizing uh, the things that you mentioned. So I think that kind of brings me on to our final point, uh, which is about, you know, why is it the reason that, you know, we mentioned some of the reasons why we don't think about Islam in a certain way, but is there, do you think there's now a need and a thirst for this uh, knowledge of Islam and economics and then how we should kind of manifest ourselves in the future? Um, and do you think there's a, a lack of scholarship around this area that kind of needs to be addressed somehow? Uh, and, you know, I know you're doing these series of detailed podcasts about Islam and the economy and Islamic finance in general. Um, is this the way to go? Is this, do we, do we need more in-depth understanding about how Islam would fit into the modern world, uh, especially in terms of the economy? Oh, it's, it's, a, it's a complicated question and they, it has a lot of ways that you can um, tackle it from uh, whether, uh, let's say, scholars are equipped to answer the questions uh, about what is permissible, what is not, uh, whether we have enough money to finance, whether uh, we have enough examples to show us the way. Um, I'll give you one small example that happened. Uh, you know, often I work with these uh, entrepreneurs and business people because I, I believe that's the essence. Essence is starting the businesses, and some people amongst us, uh, percentage of our young people starting business that employs others and then growing and increasing your confidence and skills to take on bigger and bigger challenges. I'll give you one example. There was a sister here that she was, um, and I always somehow think of that example. Uh, she called me, she wanted to meet me with her brother and explain me the business model uh, that uh, she was creating the organic food, frozen food for babies. And uh, and she said to me, I have all of these things and they told me you can consult me. And I said to sister, you know, after listening for about 45 minutes, she gave me all of the details about organic food and baby food and things I didn't need to know and I didn't, uh, you know, like... So I said, to her, look, sister, you know, like that's 
I would be glad to put you, give you a business plan and all of these uh, charge you tens of thousands of dollars for these uh, things, you know. You don't need all of that. I, I, I can take your money if you think that that's what's going to help you. But I'll give you a simple, idea, simple thing. Just on the napkin, on this paper, tell me the three things that you know already you need to be doing next six months. And she says, I need to be doing finding the space for the, so I can make these things, hire the bigger kitchen, 100 square meters and buy this machine and uh, make a deal with this uh, uh, local supermarket. I said, well, that's your plan. That's your business plan. <laughs> Just go do it. Believe me, within 12 months, she was on the, on the TV as a, I don't know, the woman of the year, or I don't know, some entrepreneur uh, of something. I don't know even, I don't follow it. But I know her face was in the newspaper. She is doing that business and so on. And, and for me, always like, just go and do it. You don't need me. I don't know anything about that business. You know, I have my own five kids. All I know is very few things. But... I can give you some fake stuff and complicated things. In reality, is just go do it. You will you will learn these things, and even in terms of the halal and haram and things like that, the best is through okay, ask a few questions, then go tackle it, tackle it. So I encourage people to just go and do it. Try something, uh, move, especially if you are a younger per person, less risk averse. Develop your skills, develop your sense. Um, of, of doing something, whatever that something is. And so my, my idea is that we do that. Uh, we work with young people in their career development. We work with the professional in terms of equipping them. Just the, uh, yesterday, one person who is working at a very high level of, uh, of these ad advising agency, major brand name, he called me, I, uh, he's my age and he said, I never knew these Islamic rules and he's like top advisor in these top firms in the world. And he said, I never knew these rules and this and that. And, you know, so I work with also these people uh, just to encourage them uh, because we tend to practice, start practicing. A lot of people coming and say, start practicing. I had one friend, he's got a million dollar turnover business and he he started practicing and say, oh, this is haram, this is haram, this is, and he's selling fruits and veggies, you know, <laughs> and he finds everything is haram suddenly. So I say, brother, take it easy. Let's figure out how we can do it. So I, I don't want you to lose business. I don't want you to do that. Let's figure out how we can grow this brand, how we can do something, you know. So I think idea here is that from the entrepreneur to the higher, uh, that, that we develop certain skills that we understand that we need, we have to do this. Uh, there, there is a, this is a part of your life. Um, you cannot have economy uh, where people cannot feed themselves, produce things for themselves. Uh, most of these countries, when you look, even in not just, and I'm not just talking about the food and and the cars and the shoes, even entertainment, you need to produce your own things. Uh, they have they have done a studies in the certain countries uh, where they say we want uh, the things that our young people watch or consume to be from us, our culture, our values. So, so we should we should be wanting that same thing, and we should be driving uh, incentives to 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 make this uh, a reality. So, on that feel good uh, note, uh, brother Anvil, Jazakallah uh, Khair for sharing those stories. Um, you know, it's a hopeful note on what each of the potential we all have really in terms of moving this forward. But um, 
It's been a fascinating discussion today, uh, and I really value your time, especially with the time difference that we have between the UK and Australia. And maybe we can go into some of those topics in a further detail sometime in the future, but um, it's been very valuable having you on. Uh, and inshallah, could you also please inform people how they can uh, maybe get in touch with your podcast or the other work that you do? Uh, just my name, Almir uh, Cholan, uh, com. You will have the details of the podcast, Islamic uh, Finance Podcast, uh, on all of the usual places and on YouTube, as well as uh, uh, on my uh, YouTube channel, I have some videos uh, in terms of Islamic finance and uh, other things if people are interested in that area. Okay, and inshallah, um, I think for our listeners, we'll be posting some of Brother Almir's work uh, uh, on our site. Uh, Thank you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.